I believe that part of supporting parents and caring adults isn't telling you how to parent. It's actually empowering you with understanding social emotional skills so that you know how to show up in a way that you want to with the knowledge you never learned growing up. Hello and welcome. I'm Tara, the founder of Raising Resilient Children. As a longtime educator, former preschool owner, and parent, I have been working with caring adults and children for over 20 years. In that time, I've been asked a lot of questions and provided a lot of support and feedback. Through this, I built a system for navigating the hard and messy parts of parenting with clear paths that will support you and your unique family's needs. My expertise is in social emotional well-being, and I'm a big fan of using picture books. I even wrote one to support teaching children about emotional regulation called The Adventures of Team Brain. I know there is no cookie cutter approach to parenting and the information can be overwhelming. Let's tackle some of this by having some important conversations and digging into some different topics. Does your child have meltdowns, tantrums, whine, scream, run away, cry, push, pull, bite? Or I'm sure you get the idea here. How about you? Do you lose your cool? Yell when you're trying your hardest to yell less. Get really ugly feelings about your parenting at times. Maybe even lose some sleep about the parent guilt of it all. Did I spend enough time today? Am I totally screwing this whole gig up? Could I have handled that situation differently? All of these things are the product of feelings. And I've noticed that we aren't always super honest about our conversations around feelings. Yes, I know. Not a shocking statement right there. The truth sometimes feelings come out as unwanted behaviors or reactions for you and your children. This is the thing that nobody wants to talk about and parents who are trying their hardest to make space for feelings are either feeling crushed by the mental drain of making the space or unintentionally doing things to prevent yourself or your children from experiencing uncomfortable feelings so that you aren't in a position to have to deal with the reactions to those feelings. We all do it at some point, but the big question, in our effort to make space for feelings, are we unwittingly making space for more unwanted behaviors? Well, based on what parents and educators are telling me, in combination with what I'm seeing, I think the answer is yes. We are a pendulum swinging kind of culture, often finding ourselves in the extremes. On the one side there is, don't show your feelings and suck it up. And on the other side is, you can have all the feelings, even if that means you're yelling at people, breaking things, or generally being unkind to yourself and others. The truth is, we just don't know how to make space because we've not been doing it for very long. And some of you, maybe only as long as your children have been around. If you caught my Q&A episode, you know that we put unrealistic timelines on both ourselves and our children for learning this stuff. Social emotional skills and talking about tools for feelings is really quite new. Well, at least in terms of public discourse. I was recently reading an article in Edutopia about the history of SEL. So SEL is social emotional learning or social emotional development or social emotional intelligence. It is the thing that has many names, but it's the thing I'm talking about today. They were talking about how it used to be considered like wishy-washy or maybe only good for conflict resolution. But what we're really coming to understand is its full potential in human development and long-term success. And that's what I want to talk about today. The grassroots conversations started about 20 years ago when I was working on my master's, and now it's becoming a household conversation. Now, that's pretty amazing, but it also tells us something really important. You likely didn't learn any of this stuff growing up, and if you did, it was a little bit at school and not at the scale that we're now seeing, and definitely not in a way that you're likely feeling confident in implementing it in your parenting. 
But here's the key. This is the thing that's going to unlock your parenting and support you with becoming the parent you are imagining. It's the missing skills from your toolbox. Not everything you know is wrong, but what you don't know, you likely never learned. And it's probably the reason you're frustrated, overwhelmed, or possibly feeling like a failure right now. Now, the tricky part about feelings is, on the outside, none are supposed to be classified as good or bad. They're all meant to inform us. In reality, that's a pretty intense statement. Uncomfortable feelings that are accompanied by unwanted behaviors don't tend to lend themselves to us being very inviting of them or wanting to remove the good, bad label. Nobody really thinks, hey, please be angry and yell or break something. I think most would agree that it's a lot harder to make space for some feelings over others. Part of that is because we really need more tools in our emotional regulation toolbox so that the more uncomfortable feelings don't take over everything or do harmful things. It's easier to suppress those ones, but that's not actually working. It's just fueling your inner volcano, and at some point you will erupt, maybe repeatedly. I'd also like to add, this is why it's important to understand that building skills is not just labeling feelings or using scripts. There's a whole other layer, and it's the essential one. It's the one that I help you build in my program, Building Resilience Through Kindness, because it's the stuff you never learned growing up, but it makes your everyday parenting easier. As a note, I've been told I should share with you that my program has an audio and a video option. So if you're a regular podcast listener, it will be that much easier to fit it into your busy schedule because you can listen the same way you are listening right now. Now, looping back to that inner volcano. You might be wondering, how is it the person who is often talking about making space for feelings suddenly seems to say feelings need some kind of limit or that perhaps there's a little more to the statement that all feelings are welcome? Well, this is my truth in this honest conversation. I believe we need to make space for feelings, and I also believe we need to put limits on them. It's the hows and whys that are important. Limits don't mean suppression, but it could mean finding different avenues or finding outlets that might not be instantly available to us. I don't think every space is the right space for all the feelings, and that a coping tool might be what we need until we're in a different place. For example, am I okay with my children disliking it when I say no to a chocolate bar at the checkout? Yes. Am I okay with them having a full tantrum about it? Mm, No. Now, there is nuance to this statement depending on age and stage, but ultimately, is it tempting to give the chocolate bar to avoid the embarrassment of the outburst versus working on some strategies for what to do with our big feelings and where that big feelings moment might be a better fit? realistically, we can't make space for big feelings exactly when they happen every single time. That isn't teaching us resilience or coexistence. That's that pendulum thing I was talking about. When we don't work to strike a balance, we believe that every moment has to be treated the same. And it doesn't, and it shouldn't. There was a time in my life where I felt picking sides on issues was the most logical way of doing things. That everything had a clear yes or no. It was just a matter of finding enough evidence. It might not surprise you to learn at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. A master's in criminology, not the forensics kind, the sociology, psychology type, taught me that law isn't so much about right or wrong, but perhaps who understands the best way to argue. And that the goal isn't actually justice, it's who's better at arguing the information. 
Enter one of my biggest moral dilemmas. Would becoming a lawyer mean that I would have to argue a case knowing that someone might be guilty and yet applying the systems of justice based on my ability to argue? And that could mean they wouldn't be held accountable. Clearly, you know that my answer to that moral dilemma was this isn't a job I can pursue because lawyer I never became. However, the knowledge and experience I gained from that degree has found its way into my world throughout my journey. So picking sides on this topic in particular, I have found highly problematic. I've said it many times before, emotional suppression and emotional free-for-all are two extremes, and both might be doing more harm than good. So while I agree with movements out there that are saying we need to make more space for feelings and the reactions to those feelings, I'm not on board with making so much space that feelings take over, and I'm also not on board with a balance that suggests unwanted behaviors are simply the natural consequence of some of those uncomfortable feelings we have. Things like jealousy, anger, frustration, disappointment, guilt. Nobody likes to feel those things, and I agree they are super important in informing us, but it's what we do with that information that becomes really important. This is the part we don't see on social media or hear much about. After you say the script, after you open the door to the feeling, then what? Well, that's because the then what isn't magical. It's the product of effort and it's rewarding. It's the part nobody wants to talk about because then you won't buy in or you'll be scared away. I dug into this in my episode on cautionary tales in parenting. If you're curious about my thoughts on parenting advice as a product of marketing, go check that one out. So let's talk about the then what, because that's the thing that will really unlock your parenting, both for you and your children. One of my favorite analogies for social emotional scale building is the swimming pool. When you stand in front of the swimming pool, you know there is an element of danger that is overcome by skills. Can you swim from one end to the other without lessons? Yes, perhaps. You could possibly doggy paddle. Is it safe or effective? Not really. It's also extremely exhausting. Now, with lessons that build your skills over time, you can confidently swim across many times. Now, when children are very young, they need an adult to hold and guide them in the water. Slowly but surely, they need us less and less. And as they move from being in the water, we can then move to sitting on the side and then eventually not even changing into our swimsuit. I use this example because a body of water is a clear example of something that presents a challenge that we know we need tools and skills for. Emotional regulation is far more abstract. We can't see the body of water, yet we still need tools and skills. And when we're little, we still need the support of caring adults. In fact, we need a variety of tools and skills, just as you might learn different strokes and floats. The same is true of emotional regulation. Our safety float might be breathing, but some of the big feelings, those uncomfortable ones that lead to bigger reactions, those ones might need something more. Some body movement, some loud singing, some heavy squishing. But just like swimming, you can't just think about learning skills. You need to practice them. Whether that's with a guide or by taking some swimming lessons, we need to get in the water and practice them. The more fun and engaging those experiences are, the faster we'll learn. This same idea applies to tools and skills for emotional regulation. We need to practice them to have them ready for us in those tricky moments. We need to know what to do when we say, then what? Right? When we validate the feelings, then what? After you say the thing, then what? That then what needs practice before it will work. 
just like swimming. Some strokes we might get better at than others, but we can still get by with some practice. Now, I know some of you are thinking, my day is jam-packed, my brain is overwhelmed, my life is a runaway snowball, and I can't possibly find the time to fit in another layer of practicing tools for emotional regulation. I get it. I really do. This is why we have to use the moments that we are already living in to incorporate the skill building. We don't have time for the extra layer. I understand. But you can fold it into the things you are already doing. Story time car rides, bath time, family routines that address the big four, food, sleep, movement, and stimulation, which also support you with getting out the door on time, moving through the day with less parent guilt, and maybe, maybe having less parent guilt at night. This is what I show you inside the BRTK bundle, because I know you are busy, but I also know the magic isn't in the script you use, but in the skills you practice, the ones that will support you through the ongoing ups and downs, not just the ones happening today. I believe that part of supporting parents and caring adults isn't telling you how to parent. It's actually empowering you with understanding social emotional skills so that you know how to show up in a way that you want to with the knowledge you never learned growing up to help you with striking a balance instead of being pulled by the pendulum swinging inside your mind that might be fueling your self-doubt. If this conversation has sparked your curiosity and you'd be curious to learn more about how you can build your emotional regulation toolbox, head to taragrado.ca forward slash BRTK and check out the BRTK bundle. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. You can also submit questions or comments to me at taragrado.ca forward slash podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great one.